0: Hello friends and welcome to the show this episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. Now as an HR professional we realize that for many of you your conference this year your annual state meeting was canceled your chapter meetings are still building but of course it's not always easy to do these things online and maybe you're worried because you need your research credits well fortunately we have a place you can go Check us out at BossBuildersUniversity.com. We have an array of programs already pre-approved for SHRM and HRCI credit. So see, you can still get it done. Check us out today at BossBuildersUniversity.com. As an HR professional, one of the things that's probably tossed into your lap is the issue of company culture. Now, many of us have heard that, hey, we want to be a Google. We want to be Disney. We want to be Chick-fil-A. But you know that's definitely not going to happen our guest today is going to argue why we should address it but not try to copy somebody else shelley smith is the president and ceo of premier Report, and that's what she does for a living she helps companies redefine or define their culture and it's based on metrics that any business person can get excited about it's definitely not easy but it is certainly something that should be addressed we asked her a lot of great questions on how we can do this and she shared a lot of great information with us. And we even talked about some current events too. So let's quit talking about Shelly. Let's talk to her. Please meet my very special guest, Shelly Smith.
1: Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. The show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now here is the host of our show, the Boss Builder, Mac Monroe.
0: Shelley Smith, welcome to the show.
2: I'm so glad to be here.
0: I'm glad we could be here too. So, just full disclosure, we were going to do this a few weeks ago, and you had a little bit of a storm. What was that? Isaias, right? Is that the yes. name of the storm that went through?
2: That's correct. I knew when the the name of the storm was funky that we were in for something new, and it, it wasn't even a hurricane, and we were still without power for a couple of days, and some folks are, are still without. So, quite something.
0: They should just call every one of these things COVID. You know, just let's just <laughs> dog pile onto COVID, right?
2: <laughs> it's so true. It's so true because any little thing now it ha- becomes a crisis, no matter what. So that's so true. The sign of 2020.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know. I guess I maybe am a little misguided, but I have this vision where January 1st, 2021, we're going to wake up and it's like, I don't know if you're a Dallas fan, but there was that Dallas episode. The whole year was a dream. And in the end, Bobby, who died, comes back. I wish that was this year.
2: Wish that was it. It You you can tell
0: what I'm binge watching these days, huh?
2: Well, it feels a little bit like, um, so I never watched Dallas in full disclosure, but it does remind me a little bit of Groundhog Day.
0: (laughs) There you go. Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll just wake up and there'll be a different song playing on the clock radio or something, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about business, I guess because that's what the podcast is for, but business has really been impacted by this. How have you been impacted with this COVID thing? Well,
2: uh, it's definitely been impacted. It's interesting. At first it was the frozen and people thought that things were going to quickly go back to whatever they they called normal, and there's been so many dips and twists and turns and the need to innovate on the it, on the pivot. So, it um it's, it's been different. There's been highs, there's been lows, but I have to say overall, um, because of my, my chosen destiny, um, I've been blessed with business.
0: Well, that's great. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny who is benefiting in this and, you know, who's not the big beneficial or benefactor, I guess this year was at least here in Tennessee was the fireworks stands. Mm. And, uh, you know, because all the major shows were canceled, so usually when the fire, I mean, they sell fireworks year round here. That's what rednecks get off on is fireworks, right? Blowing stuff up. But you know, usually the day after Fourth of July, the stands are they're still full of fireworks and everything's fifty percent off than seventy five. July fifth, I drove through Dixon and every fireworks stand was cleaned out.
2: Wow! So
0: this was the year to have a fireworks stand, and uh, you know, people that make masks and hand sanitizers and all that—they're doing well, but. For a lot of us, it's a real struggle. So I'm glad to hear that you're you're doing well.
2: Hang, hanging on, hanging on, hanging in.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's all we can do, right? Yes. So Shelly, your, your thing is culture and we want to talk about culture today. But before we get into that, I was hoping that you could just tell our listeners about yourself. Uh, tell us about your background <laughs> and tell us what you do.
2: Well, again, thank you so much. I My journey has been an interesting one. Um, I actually grew up in an entrepreneurial home before the word entrepreneur, I'd ever heard of it. And of course, didn't appreciate it then. So originally from Indiana, my parents had a auction house and a flea market and a restaurant. And so I I did that starting at the age of 11. And from there, I did not take the supposed normal uh, route. I did not go to college. I started working and uh, a multitude of different things, which led me into the travel and the hotel industry. And I ended up living in Atlanta and working for Marriott. And I absolutely fell in love with that structure that Marriott brought. I started off as a desk clerk. I was trying to meet, make ends meet while being a travel agent as well as a part-time desk clerk. And I ended up staying with Marriott for 14 years and really got a lot of uh, structure and really that corporate footing, if you will, and from there I went into the hotel franchise world. I left Marriott as a, um, they called it an area manager, so you you had a responsibility of a hotel as a general manager and then I had direct reports to the managed hotels as well as the franchise hotels in my area. So I, I had roughly 30 indirect reports and direct report hotels. And with that, I decided that I didn't want to move to D.C. at the time, which is obviously where the the corporate office of Marriott was, and they didn't do virtual or different location area managers, and I had started a family, and I said, I don't want to move. So I put my resume out there, and I went to the local franchise companies and said, hey, this is who I am. This is what you need inside of your organization, and you need to hire me, and I was fortunate to get three offers. And I chose one of them as a COO, stayed with them for about eight years, um, built from eight hotels to 32 hotels, left there, started again with another smaller one that had a couple of hotels. I grew to six in a couple of years and was in partnership. And I I don't know if uh, the listeners remember, is it time to get up and make the donuts? But I had one of those moments and I was completely burnt out on the hotel industry. I talked to a franchise partner, or not a franchise partner, I talked to a franchise liaison that helped people find what do they want to do when they grow up. And during that interview, I um, assessment, it was discovered three things were pitched back to me. And I was actually literally going to open up a, a, a donut shop called Daylight Donuts and had found the location and everything. What was pitched back was executive coaching and peer board review. So at the time, so now this was, you know, roughly 10 to 12 years ago, about 12 years ago, I thought, wow, people get paid for that. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, back then, if you needed a coach, it was, you know, considered taboo. You must really be messing up. And of course, now, if you need a coach, uh, if you don't have a coach, it's, uh, have you lost your mind? Why don't you have a coach? So it's interesting. To see the twists and turns, but I purchased a franchise called the Alternative Board. They're out of Colorado, similar to a Vistage. Um, a lot of people are familiar with both of those. And mm-hmm. the concept is working with owners directly, one on one during the month, and then once a month, you bring a group of them together, usually anywhere from eight to twelve, and you act. Uh, they act as one another's uh, board. Of advisors and you facilitate it. So I owned that for about a year, took a lot of bumps and bruises, and sold that and have what I have today, um, which is all about not just the executive coaching and helping facilitate boards, but far more so, it is everything to do with workplace culture. So that's the that's the short version. Hopefully, y'all thought that was a short version.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's quite a journey though. So during this time, did you? I mean, did you end up taking some college courses or how did that work? Because you basically stepped right into the workforce and now here you are today.
2: Yeah. So that's a great question. You know, I used to be very timid and awkward about not having a college degree. So, cutting to the chase, I do not have a college degree. Um, I did take, I had a lot of things from a leadership and development from Marriott. They do an incredible job of, and, and still to this day, really developing. Uh, leadership far above and beyond management. And then when I went into one of the franchise partners, I actually took some courses at Cornell, the business school, and uh, over a couple of summers. So I've got you know adi- additional certifications inside of that. But honestly, Mac, for all intents and purposes, I do not have any sort of a two-year degree. Uh, obviously, not a four-year degree or beyond. But it's interesting that I help companies actually build their universities inside of their organizations and so my degree is absolutely in life I have sat in the boat I haven't had I haven't had any discussions with any startups and or Uh, uh, multi-billion dollar companies as clients that I've not been there or done that in some way, shape or form. So my degree is literally in life of being there and surviving. I always laugh and say, I not only got in the boat, I went out to the shore. I've been in all kinds of storms and hurricanes, literally and figuratively, and I've made it back to the shore. So now let me share my experiences to help you. And so that is my degree, that it's one of life.
0: Well, I think that's really valuable. I mean, there's you could make a case for, you know, the degree is just a ticket to get you to something else. Um, you know, I uh, if you were to ask me, what are five things you remember from your master's degree? Mm-hmm. I might I might remember one. Um, <laughs> and then people say, "How did you become a? What you do when you were a dental assistant in the Navy?" Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't match. It's like, well, it doesn't. It was just so horrible that I decided to go to college, which I didn't enjoy either. So what's worse, sucking spit and blood or sitting in class? Either way, everything I've learned, probably just like you, you talk to people, you experience things, and if you're like 1% more knowledgeable than somebody else, you become the expert and you get opportunities, and and here you are today. And your, your specialty, I guess, it would be dealing with cultures, and so... A lot of times, and I'm sure you get this too, you hear people that say, we want to change our company culture here. And then so the question is, well, what do you want it to be? Well, we want to be like Disney. <laughs> or we want to be Google, or we want to be like one of the uh, the you know Silicon Valley companies. Mm-hmm. And there are people who specialize, especially in healthcare. There's a group called the Studer Group, mm-hmm. and they specialize in you know building cultures and things like that. And it and I don't know, at least personally, my observation is that it's not really easy to do, and I don't even know if it's possible, but I'm going to defer that question to you. Could we just get a consultant and switch the culture, just like flipping a switch?
2: No, definitely not. I, I do think that it's, it's almost like when you're building a house and you look at different pictures and construction companies that give you different types of houses you get inspired by maybe the Disney, by the Google, um, by Marriott, by 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 some of the names that you hear in a positive Chick Fil A that you hear in a positive manner on a consistent basis. But that is your inspiration. That is not you. You you cannot just put on. And certainly not overnight and flip a switch. It takes work. They didn't get there overnight. Doesn't even, my goodness, didn't get there overnight. Neither did Google. Google's always talking about how they're taking um, pivots and twists and turns of what right looks like for them. And I want to stress for them. So no, you cannot, if it were only that easy, well, I guess I guess if it was only that easy, we wouldn't see all of these companies in the news for toxic workplace culture, e- even today, you know, Ellen DeGeneres and which I don't know about for you, but for me, that's, it's quite the shocking, it's, it's quite the shocking mm-hmm. piece to hear. So.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it and that's a great example with Ellen, cause boy, on the TV, she seems like the nicest person on the planet. Like I'd love to go work for her. And then we hear these stories, what goes on behind the scenes, but you know, I'm sure any given day people leave Disney and they go want to work for Google or they leave Chick-fil-A and want to go work for Disney. So not every culture is perfect behind the scenes, but they put on a pretty good front enough that people say, I want to do that. I mean, it's, you know, and especially even with workplace arrangements now, we would go to the, take down the cubicles and we have the open concept. And now, of course, that's probably going to be something that switches and Mm -hmm. it'll be plexiglass and whatever it's going to look like. So there is... I mean, in your opinion, is there such a thing as a perfect culture?
2: There's not. Uh, Well, you know what? I'm going to say that out of both sides of my mouth. There is, if it's clearly defined and it's intentional, which is the work that I do with clients, is you've got to define what right looks like for you and your team. Um, and, And that's what makes it perfect for you and your team when you're able to show up and have that shared purpose, that shared vision. And everybody's on the same page to keep the guardrails on. To keep the, you know, you're in a bowling lane or bowling alley and you've got all the different lanes to choose from, but yet you choose a lane and then maybe you put the rails up so that every single ball hits something. And that's the intention. It's just that 99% of the companies, the individuals, the leaders, the people who originally thought up the business idea don't do that with their culture. And that's what makes everything go awry. So first of all, you have to have the, not just the vision, but the clarity and the intent. And then you got to have the guardrails up all the time. And everybody has to have the guardrails up and so that they know what right looks like. And then then you can have that so-called perfect um, culture that everybody wants to lean into and hopes that they get to work for every day. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. I'm just kind of curious, though, wh- wh- what drives that culture? Is it driven by the leader or is it by a critical mass of people? Because, you know, it seems like a culture is something that just sort of pops up mm-hmm. and that becomes your culture. And then if we want to change it, we've got to do these different things. But is it driven by the founder? Is it driven by a critical mass? Where, where have you normally seen it come from?
2: Well, when done right, it's set up first by by the owner, by the leader of the department. However, to your point, as you start to bring additional people in, if that leader hasn't put the guardrails down, if they're not, not just talking about it, but living it and breathing it and being very intentional about the behaviors that are right and the ones that are wrong, literally on the daily basis, it's pretty easy to get off track Uh, That one degree of of separation ends up being 90 pretty quick, ends up being um, 180 pretty quick, and then you really are off track because the masses do pull against it. So the key, the trick, if you will, the secret sauce, the fairy dust is literally keeping the masses going in the same direction at the same time, and, and they're all protecting it. You know, I, I often, when I'm helping companies design their culture playbooks, I talk about focusing on one word that you really think will have a huge impact. So whether it's something inside of your mission, vision, hopefully your value statements or bullet points, if it's respect, if it's collaboration, if it's innovation, whatever, start with one word for a minimum of 30 days. And out of that, have everyone writing down, bullet points and stories and pictures of what what that one word means. So if it's collaboration, how do we collaborate? What do we do? What do we think? What do we feel? What do we say? The more intentional that you can really point it out when it's right versus when it's wrong, the more everybody's in tune to it. It's like when you buy that new car and all of a sudden you see your car in the same color literally everywhere you go and you just never saw it before it's that same intention. So it can be easy, but most people don't understand how to break it down and they're not they're not focused on it and it's it's not that easy. But you know why it's not easy, Matt? It's because Matt, we 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 have to first understand what really right is. You and I can both say we want to be collaborative, but you and I might define that differently inside of both of our companies. And so the more that we define that, the better off we are, that we are attracting and retaining. And the people that are inside of our walls are helping us continue to define what Collaborate means for us and our team.
0: You know, I'm um, thinking about a company that is wrestling with this right now. Do employees really care about this? Or is this something that executives like to think and talk about and employees just say, well, whatever, flavor of the month?
2: Mm-hmm. It absolutely used to be the flavor of the month. It, it, it used to be a nice-to-have, but it's not, it's not anymore. The more, I, you know, I really started to see this shift during the Me Too movement, and uh, it's, it's been heightened even more with Black Lives Matters and uh, everything that's happened on the in-between, obviously inclusive of COVID. It's either helping companies survive and thrive and starting to attract and retain people that they really want, or the wheels have completely come off. And so I, I think it used to be not I think. I know it used to be something that people thought was, again, a nice to have. But now the pressures of the internal team as well as the, as the external branding, that need to define it, build it, and market it is unlike any other pressure cooker I've seen today. Because everybody is looking at At every move that the executives are making, that the CEO statements that are coming out or not coming out, and they're making up their minds and they're making, you know, all kinds of assumptions that things are not clarified. You know, again, I'll go back to Ellen, the Ellen DeGeneres show. We are, we are all made assumptions about her because of what we saw. And I've always been a big fan for years myself. But now the assumptions that I'm starting to make are changing because I haven't heard from her. So I understand it's her show. I understand, you know, it's her name there. But I also understand that there's someone behind the scenes that's advising her not to make statements. I don't, however, know why she hasn't made a statement. So now the silence in my mind starts to propagate something negative that, oh my gosh, maybe what we're hearing is true you know, oh my gosh, maybe the whole, you know, wool has been pulled over our eyes. And so when we, my, my point is, it's easy to get off track and it's easy to make assumptions and it's easy to get derailed when the masses are not standing up. And certainly the person whose name in this case, Ellen, is not saying anything, our minds run rampant and, and so the derailment of not making statements and not calling out what's right and wrong just makes your mind go in a really bad way. You know, I'll give the CVS in the news repeatedly, Starbucks in the news. It was interesting to watch Starbucks um, CEO actually make statements when there were a couple of incidents over the last, really the last two years And how quickly they said, oh, we're going to shut every single Starbucks down on this day at this time, and we're going to give training. Well, bully for him for making the statement, bully for him for pulling everybody in, but we all know one-time training doesn't do it. They've had incidents since, and he's made statements since, and he's trying to keep the lid on since. You don't make a statement and you don't show up, people's minds start to wander.
0: Hmm. Well, it all seems like it's driven from the leadership, the top down. And you've given some examples. One that stands out to me, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I'd like to talk about it is Papa John's. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar yes. with what's coming down? Yes. Yeah. So here is a, a company that's founded by, I guess, yeah, I guess we call him Papa John mm-hmm. or John Schn- Schnatter, I guess that's his last name. Mm-hmm. So, and I actually ran into him in Nashville once. Uh, getting off a helicopter. That's my one and only brush with greatness. Uh, He's a little short guy and I think he dyes his hair like jet black because he's (laughs) got to be my age and I ain't got a black hair in my head anymore. Of course, I don't have any hair in my head, but but it's so interesting that, so here is somebody's dream that's built and started and it becomes massive. And then through a series of very poor choice statements, now it's on the down. But but here's a guy who's just refusing to give it up yeah. and almost wanted to maintain whatever culture it is. Is that, is that more common where somebody just says, deal with it? This is who we are?
2: Yeah, that in the, that's when you realize that you're, if you're an employee, in that case, you realize that, again, your vision is blown that, gosh, do I just want to make a, a paycheck or do I really do want to have my values aligned with a shared purpose? and that's when you start to see people stand up by either leaving or stand up with you know in his case going to going to the newspaper stand up obviously the board of directors for him stood up so it's a, it's an interesting plight but it does it does start with the leader but then as you start to add people then things start to shift if you allow them to shift you know Jim Collins good to great still one of my favorite books Um, he, you know, he's the one who planted the seed of the right, the right seat, uh, on the bus. But I would take it further that you have to start with which bus stop and then which bus. But then once you get on the bus, as people join, the interior can be redesigned and rethought about. So the leader can start with a vision, but if you don't allow the team to live that vision and that culture then it's absolutely going to be redesigned which is what's happened with with Papa John's and you, you know the commercials that come on with the local the local owners very clearly using their voices to say without saying he is not us we are not him this is us we are local owners and we believe in you know who we are in our franchise trying to desperately really keep them distance themselves from him. So it's an, it's an interesting thing that we've seen happen to Papa John's over the last year and a half, two years.
0: So that's almost been, it was, I guess an intentional move, but it seems like time takes care of some of this too, doesn't it? Mm. If we don't see him around, we really don't anymore. I mean, really the spokesperson now is, is mainly Shaquille O'Neal. Yes. Until I watch a lot of television.
2: Yes. no, yeah, it's so, very um,
0: true. So, so somebody who's not really familiar, let's just say somebody was twelve when all that stuff went down a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They probably don't even know who Papa John's it is.
2: Yeah, they don't have the visual. He, he's them. not.
0: Yeah, he's. I don't think he. They even took his face off the pizza box. I think too. So, yeah, yeah I guess in a perfect world you could just rename it. But um, eventually, yeah. Like, do you know who Chef Boyardee is? No, well, I don't. He's, been dead a hundred years, but exactly. you know, it's just a name. It's yes. who knows what he was like back in the day.
2: No, it's true. And and the perception is, and I, I don't know if it's true or not from what I read and saw is that he, he did, he was told to leave kicking and screaming. However, you know, he was told to step down by the board and it became not an option. So the perception was he didn't want to leave and, and he felt like what he was doing was right and he could do a turnaround, but the masses meaning the board felt otherwise in order to save the company so it was an interesting thing to watch and again a little bit of that is perception because unless you were sitting in the boardroom you don't truly know what happened
0: mhm yeah well they're still in business and as far as i can see they're doing pretty well especially yep. now when a lot of people are probably ordering out pizza so
2: yes agree yeah,
0: pizza and, pizza and fireworks <laughs> yeah good well, let, let me ask you another question here. So we are in a time and I don't like to timestamp these, but I've been doing it this year because this is one in a million years. Ten years from now, somebody will say, How did they handle twenty twenty? Maybe they'll dig up our podcast, right? But, yeah. Um, I'm just wondering now, with unemployment being as bad as it is, and I've seen this trend, because um, I've been around a while too, and you know, when the economy's great that's when all these things happen. You know, people call us, they want to do management training, and mm-hmm. all these things happen. And then the economy tanks and people lose their jobs. And then it's like, I just need a job. Mm-hmm. It seems like that's where we are right now. Yeah. Do you think that that this is the right time to start thinking about your culture? Because I mean, if you're in business, you're probably holding on by your fingernails. Mm-hmm. Is this the time to shift things up or should we ride out the storm? And do, when we get employees are we really going to be looking for an employee who buys into it or are we just going to get the best talent out there because now there's a bunch of good talent to choose from
2: no those are great points and great questions and definitely ones that i am asked a varying of degree of those on the daily so let's unpack it a little bit number 1 i agree that there is a lot of talent out there that we should be grabbing very intentionally for job fits you know a lot of the not a lot some of the talent that's out there is because they realized the culture that they were working in was not aligned with their with their views and their values. And so they've elected to jump ship and or I would say that you're starting to see more of them jump ship. So voluntarily versus involuntarily. So the ones that are involuntary, you're absolutely right. You know, they need a job. They've got to keep the roof over their head. They've got to keep food on the table. And so uh, we can't, we cannot control that. However, we can be more intentional about who we're hiring in the midst of this right now from that side is an opportunity for the employers. Now, now more than ever, to your question, workplace culture matters. To my, you know, I'm, I'm just turned 55 this year and I don't recall a time when there were such blurred lines Overlapping lines, a personal and professional. You know, when I came up through the ranks, it was always a separation that you don't get personal with your um, um, with those that were direct reports. Now, if you, it's it's difficult to have empathy, which is one of the the top leadership qualities. Now, you can't show empathy if you don't allow yourself, number one, to be vulnerable. But also, if you don't have an understanding of what's happening inside of your team members home as well. So I'm not talking about crossing the lines from a, a me-too perspective. I'm talking about understanding what's happening in the personal lives of your team members, whether it's peer-to-peer, managing up, managing down, or, or crossway. So culture is more important now than ever. It's starting to either help you be the differentiator from product and services and getting above the competitive edge from an employee recruitment standpoint and certainly from a retention and engagement standpoint, and certainly from growth. Again, simply from the multiple pandemics, when you include the adversity and the Black Lives Matter continued movement is that you're seeing alignment to products and services because of what the statements are inside of the company, because of what the workplace culture is. So there's this huge weaved intentionality of workplace culture, which leads into how do I hire? How do I retain? How do I choose as an employee prospect of who do I want to go work for? And they're investigating companies unlike ever before. So you definitely have seen this shift and it's blurred. So er everything that you said is true. Definitely an opportunity to grab talent, in a far more intentional way, but you better make sure your workplace culture and your environment is if you are in a rebuilding mode right now, call it out and let those employees, those prospects, those applicants that you're interviewing know and tell them what you're looking for. You're better off to tell them that up front than to paint this rosy picture and then they get in and they're like, oh my gosh, this place is a hot mess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's true. I sometimes think about that when you hear people that bitch and complain about their jobs and you think there was a day that you got a call from that recruiter making you an offer and you were all excited and jumping up and down. Like Mm -hmm. what happened? You know, what happened to turn that around? Sometimes it doesn't take long. Sometimes I guess it takes a while, but, um, but it's a reality. So let me ask you this. When, if, if I have a company, what is, what are some of the indicators that I need to call somebody like you to help me figure this out?
2: That's a great question, too. I call, them, I call them leaks. So, leaks happen in a variety of ways. The most common is turnover. If you've got turnover, often turnover isn't happening by the masses, but maybe inside of a department. And typically, it's actually the manager or the leader that's the culprit versus the recruiting uh, team that's trying to, to fill holes. So, turnover, Reasons for turnover, definitely lack of engagement if you've taken um, some sort of an employee assessment, for example, and you don't have the engagement and the satisfaction scores that you're looking for. If if you have open positions for a long period of time, hard to fill positions, and you just can't seem to get there. If you've got a position that's turning over repeatedly, if you have bad reviews on Glassdoor. On Facebook, on um, things that you see come across on uh, even your website comments, those are all signs that you've got something happening inside of your culture and that the wheels are starting to come off, and you know, inclusive of the bad, the bad PR. So those are some of the normal signs. On top of if you're losing market share, so if you're still not able to grow your business from top line sales. But yet, your competitors are, and you're scratching your heads with wool. Well, why aren't we growing at the same pace, or even faster? Or if you're stuck, and your product or your service is no longer relevant, and you're not able to make the shift, that's also a sign. So those—that's just a few. Those are a few signals.
0: Okay. Well, hopefully somebody's paying attention to those things because it seems like if you're not, one day you're going to wake up and realize your company has gone.
2: Absolutely. Which we, we, we're, we're now seeing, (laughs) we literally, yeah, I mean, there's external
0: forces for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or acquired or whatever. You had mentioned earlier a little bit about, you know, engagement surveys and things. I mean, is there, is there a, like a, a recommended recipe would give somebody like here's two or three surveys to give out or does it kind of depend on the company?
2: Well, anytime that you give, well, two things. My favorite is I use predictive index. So I use the engagement survey through that. It's a core scientifically, you know, core questions that are answered and it gives you a view from not only your culture, but it breaks it down into job manager, organization, satisfaction, the culture at peace. So I like the ones that are a little bit more dynamic and give you more of a 360 view. But I'm going to say, whatever questions you ask. Don't ask them if you're not willing to hear the perceptions that are out there and then to do something with them. I would rather you ask one or two questions, certainly than asking 20 to 100 questions when you're really only going to address a couple of them to begin with. If you're not going to address and you don't want to hear if, you, if your team thinks that you pay fairly, don't ask the question around pay or you pay fairly. You know, stay centered on what it is you really want to know. If you want to know about training and development, ask about training and development. If you want to know about onboarding, ask about onboarding. If you want to know about communication, ask about communication. But don't, especially if you haven't done a survey ever before, start with what it is you really want to know and build on it. Because the worst thing you can do is to give a survey. You don't tell the results, you're not transparent about your top items and your, your lower items and what you're willing to do with them, then just don't do the survey to begin with. So start small, start intentional. You can use SurveyMonkey. If you've got nothing and you've got no budget, go into SurveyMonkey and ask a couple of questions just to get yourself started. Once you have a better understanding of where your opportunities are, then start to put together Put together a plan. But again, I'm sorry that I keep using the word be intentional, but you have to be intentional to know where you're going. Don't just put it out there because oh, we haven't done a survey and somebody said we need to do it. Let's, you know, please don't don't do that. You're wasting who's got time, right? Who's got time? So <laughs> do it with intentions.
0: Well, the alternative is I guess the way some people feel about COVID, the reason the numbers are going up is cuz we're testing so much. So let's <laughs> quit testing and it'll go away, right? <laughs>
2: Yeah. No, not so much. No, not so much. So
0: yeah, don't neglect that because you're afraid of what you find out. Like we might find out we have a problem. Well, I guess, yeah, you have a problem. It's just a matter. Now you know where it is.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and the other thing is, you know, I'm going to say, unfortunately, because I, I, I wish that I got more phone calls that things are on the good and we're really just trying to level up. I do get a few of those. But usually it's the reactive mode versus the proactive mode. They're calling because now they're in the weeds or something is happening or they have these leaks versus some of the the, the, the not so subtle leaks are the gossip. If you've got a lot of gossip and your you know, HR department of one or of a hundred is dealing with a lot of employee relations around he said, she said, that's a leak too that's going to grow into something and manifest into something far worse. So pay attention to your, your caution light signals that are happening and then you can put a survey at it and then you can put a plan together with it intentionally.
0: Well, let's talk about if somebody has done this, they've done the predictive index, they say we have these problems. Mm -hmm. So the next step is to call you. Mm -hmm. So I don't want you to give away all your secrets because I want listeners to pay you to do this stuff. But could you give us a general idea of what's involved? In it? Is this something we could do like overnight? Does it take a couple of weeks? Is it involve like walking around on hot coals in our bare feet and doing <laughs> that kind of stuff? Just what does it look like? Because I want to make sure that people know, okay, I can do this. It's not a frightening thing. Or maybe it is.
2: Yeah. Well, again, you have to be in it and really want to make a change and, and to kind of have an idea of what you think that outcome might be and definitely a results-driven return on the investment type of, of consultant. So, you know, mine is you start with a, a culture inquiry. You've got to analyze what the data, collect the data to, in order to, to analyze it. And from there, you really can begin to uh, create it and then finally curate it to what the vision is. So I I call it the ACC model. And, And inside of that is impact leadership of understanding the intentions, the measurement, the processes, the accountability, collaboration, and the timeline. And then with that is the employee empathy mapping of what do they think, what do they feel, what do they say, what do they do? And then on top of that is the entire anatomy of the workplace itself. So first it's the inquiry. And the inquiry is taking your black and white data and then from there, you've analyzed it separately, which they can certainly do that. Most people get into it and say, I can't, I can't analyze my own data from an unbiased standpoint. It's typically when the call happens to me so i analyze it from a black and white standpoint and then ideally you do small group discussions with what it is that you've seen from a black and white standpoint some of those are also one on one discussions and then from there you begin to put together the plan and then the plan you you pivot along the way you talk about what's working what's not working and what's the next inch we're going to take towards the mile what's the mile we're going to take towards you know the road trip and, and that's how the whole thing comes together. So you've got to start small. You've got to be intentional, but you have to analyze it and know what you want your outcomes to be. I can't just say I want it better, but I don't know what better looks like. Mm-hmm.
0: How many people follow through all the way? Because this sounds like you're, you're doing like a lifestyle change. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it could be a fad diet mm-hmm. and then we're done. But the ones that, that don't stick it out, how long does it take for somebody to say, eh, this isn't working? Does it happen?
2: I haven't had anybody quit on me, uh, me personally, um, because when they've taken that call and they've gone through the inquiry process, one thing absolutely leads to another. And what happens is, in start inside of the business planning of this, you know, with what does the return look like, you're able to establish milestones that actually give you an absolute cash flow return, and that's. When the calls coming from the board of directors, coming from the owner, coming from the executive who has PL responsibility, we're finding where those leaks are causing cash flow profitability problems, and we're addressing those. And when you're able to address those and get those wins... And you actually start to see that in the the greater good and the overall health and wellness of the company and the sustainability, then you're like, oh my gosh, I want more. And so I find is, is it's like when you go on a weight loss journey and all of a sudden you find that that weight loss journey that works for you and your metabolism, you're like, oh my gosh, I found my thing. I want more. And so it moves from, I need it to I want it to I have to have it and now I'm obsessed about it. So I it goes through those stages and I see it through varying degrees. If it's a small company, then I see those shifts quicker. I also see the pain quicker because they're living it in, in in lightning speed versus the really large companies that have, you know, employees by the thousands and multiple divisions. That's a slow moving ship. That's a slow shift because there's so much red tape and you have to go through so many hoops in order to get there. And what happens with that is if the core leader leaves in the midst of it, or they shift outside of their company or their responsibility, then it slows more. I personally haven't seen anybody drop off. It just slows the process down. So I've got people who have me for engagements that are three to six months, and then they get it, and they've got it, and then they just use me every now and then to kind of take a pulse check. But then I also have companies that I've worked with for 10 years because they started at one spot. They started at A in hopes of getting to Z and and along the way they keep moving through it and they're like, oh, well, what about this? Or, oh, we could do this now. And those are the ones who end up creating those universities inside of their companies and, and so much more because now they really get it and they understand that the culture is what drives the top line sales and the profitability and everything in between is a side effect of that. That that's what you got to understand and to buy into. If you don't think your culture is your, your, your linchpin, then, then you're at the train stop, but you haven't bought your ticket yet or you bought your ticket, but you don't know where to sit. So you've got to get to that plateau to really understand and buy in. And then you, you, you don't, you don't stop. You keep asking yourself, what's, what else, what else, what else?
0: Well, it it sounds almost like a weight loss journey, which I've been on many, Um, none of them actually that successful. (laughs) And you're not going to see me in a speedo anytime soon, (laughs) but you know, it sounds like it's just, it's like momentum. Once you get rolling, you just can't stop. And then you can't, you can't imagine what life was like before. Correct. And so that's when we know we've won, right?
2: That's absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, I also want to say it doesn't mean that you don't build great things inside of a company and then end up selling the company or leave the company. And what you find is you want to repeat elements of what you had. And I say elements because everybody's not Disney. You repeat elements of what you had in, in hopes of making, you know, your stamp and to recreate and to go again.
0: That's great. Well, Shelly, if somebody is listening to this right now and says, boy, that's that's what we need. We need to work on our culture. How would a person find you?
2: Well, thank you so much. And I think the easiest way is just go to my website because there you can find the, the inquiry. Um, you can find some culture magazines that actually digital that give you some of the stuff that I talked about. And you can also become a, a culture curator, a, a member where I actually help you walk through these processes uh, one-to-one. So premierreport.com. It's P-R-E-M-I-E-R-R-A-P-P-O-R-T.com. Excellent.
0: Well, Shelly, I have learned a lot today. This is the first time I've ever talked to somebody that's done a deep dive into culture. And it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. And uh, I just want to wish you the best of luck as you help companies weather this storm and all the storms that are to come.
2: Thank you so much, Mac. I appreciate you and I appreciate all your listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another
1: episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.